0: Welcome
1: to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast.
0: Hello, welcome to the Seek Forgiveness Podcast. Today, we're showing the audio from a video interview that was conducted with Raj Singh Renu, who wanted to discuss life following the loss of his partner Nin to stomach cancer. Raj discusses issues around loss, death, mourning and grief, as well as life as a single parent now. We will include information around support for people with cancer and loved ones of people with cancer in the description to this podcast. If you'd like to donate to Seek Forgiveness, you can do so by following the link at ko.fi forward slash Forgiveness. Any donations given will be used for future SF projects. So I'm just wondering if uh, you'd be able to give us a bit of
2: a background as to who you are and what you can to Sure, okay. Uh, My name's Raj. um, Born and bred from uh, Lenington Spa. I've got three young children. Uh, Naveen, she's ten. Avani she's six years old. I've got a four-year-old son, Veeran. I run my own business, Mm -hmm. specialising in uh, wills, trusts, powers of attorney, funeral plans, probate. So anything to do with death, I'm your man. I solely do it for the, the Sikh community. Okay. It's, a, it's a big taboo, taboo topic. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I set this company up with my wife about eight, nine years ago. Okay. Uh, just doing general will writing. I was at the gym about four years ago. I had a brainwave. I thought, seek wills. Mm-hmm. I'm seek. You know, uh, I'm doing it currently. I can talk the language. Let's, let's set it up. So that's what I currently do. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you mentioned
0: um, your partner. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, like, um,
2: what was what was sort of life like before you met your partner? Uh, can I swear? Because I was a bright little. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, I was very cheeky. Right. Very very cheeky laid back. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> had no care in the world. Right. Okay. So if I go back to my uh, primary school days, very sporty. Mm-hmm. Very very sporty. And that's where my eldest and me. That's where she gets it from. Yeah, she's very. She's not that academic. Yeah. But uh, she's clever. But she's more into a sport. So she's taking on that role from yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Very much like that. Yeah. And I got to secondary school, and that's when uh, my kind of like my entrepreneurial skills came out. Right. My sister used to work for Cadbury's, and she had a big van, white van with Cadbury splattered all over it. And in the morning, I used to sneak into the van, get a box full of chocolates. And take to school. I said, 75 five p cheaper." School, okay. you get, school, you sell the vending machines. sell it for thirty-five p. Yeah, I sell for thirty. Okay, so you're on the competition. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I made a bit of bit a change, bit of pocket money.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So when did that start to change? When when did things like that start to change? Went
2: to university. Okay, I'm happy. Um, <laughs> it went downhill from there. To be honest, um, it just just the freedom. Yeah, it got to me. Uh, I fell my first year you need forty percent to pass. Mm-hmm. But I didn't even make that. Okay. And they said, look, you you pass three, you failed three, you come to the university in August, you do the three that you failed, you retake those exams, you pass them, you go in second year. Yeah. <clears throat> I went in August, met some uh, local friends, went out with them and I didn't do my exams. I didn't even take up to them. Oh,
1: okay.
2: Yeah, so I failed, I had to start to do the first year again but only three modules. Okay, so you were like, part time? Yeah, but I was there full time. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay, I'm Yeah, coming. Because I was only there part time, I wasn't entitled to a student loan. Mm. Back then, student loans is about uh, two, two grand or something. Yeah. So it wasn't a lot if you think about it now, but for me at the time, it's my accommodation covered.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, uh, but yeah, I, I did struggle. But again, you're a student, you find ways of still going out and eating and going to university. Yeah. yeah. And so what happened after that? Were you able to, to concentrate after that point? And... When I did um, concentrate, so uh, if I rewind a couple of years, is when uh, my cousin worked at River Island in Yeah. I walked in uh, just having a chit chat, and there was a woman at the, a uh, well, girl in the corner of my eye, I said, Who's that? She want Well, that's Nim. I said, She's alright, she is. Mm-hmm. I said, Why you going talk to her? I said, no, no. She Go on, let go. So I went able to talk to her, but she didn't have no it. Absolutely it. got rejected. So um, I went back a week later and uh, again, tried again another day. So I persevered. And then she, I think she must have got annoyed. She goes, oh, forget it, all right, let's try. Then she um, got my number back, she texted me. We were just talking uh, over the summer. Um, met her a couple of times, you know, nothing really materialised. And then in my final year, when I was 21 years old, uh, fourth year into my degree, mm. I thought, what am I playing like? at? You know, I'm thinking, she's such a nice girl. You know, I'll get married to her, I can bring her home to my parents. So I phoned her, we still have contact, I phoned her I said, look, come to Manchester, you know, I need to talk to you. And she thought, what? I said, just come to Manchester. Mm. She was at Kilmer University, she went all the way to Manchester, got a train, got a cab to my place, she goes, everything all right? I said, yeah. I said, why don't you, you know, just try and get together. She goes, what I said, you yeah, let's try. Mm. Goes, Is that it? I'm like, yeah, she goes, I thought somebody had died or we needed money. I thought, well, I do need money, I'll yeah. I'm a student, but let's you try, you, can, you know, see what, see what happens, right? And then that's when things start picking up. Okay. So, yeah, so I passed my degree because of her, because she helped me just focus, mm. she helped me do my dissertation or just do my dissertation right. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you had, you had a
0: new lease of life, a new. And new yeah. focus new aims. And yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. And and what really sunk in for me was that
2: I'm not gonna bring you home to my dad if she hasn't got a degree. Yeah. Because her dad's a PhD and a doctor and quite high in engineering. I thought like, okay. If this person's for me, then I want to be accepted in her family. Mm-hmm. It's not just you know, she's not just your wife, you get married to the whole family. Yeah. Yeah, so I thought right, let me get myself in gear. And just focus, uh, but yeah, because of her, yeah, absolutely,
0: okay. definitely, uh, yeah. And what was life like when you were uh, when you once you both got married? wasn't well, really much of a change, to be honest, because we were together
2: for a few years. Mm-hmm. I'd known her for probably about six years before, you know, okay. uh, all together. Okay. Uh, it was just uh, sort of her moving in, and she would come. We were working as Stratford upon uh, when I worked in in call centre. So, uh, she would come to my house, pick me up, and then I would drive her and we'd go together. Right. Yeah. But, and that continued after marriage, so it was kind of the same. It was kind of the same, but we wanted children young. So, Naveen who's ten, she was born before our first anniversary. Right. Yeah, and, um, and that was great. That was great, yeah. It was a bit of a shock to the system when we brought Naveen home, put the car seat down, we looked at each other and like, "What are we going doing do with Because normally when you have children, you just give them back. But I thought she's ours for life, you know. Mm. And that was a uh, that hit home, right? Yeah, like grow up now, yeah. Yeah, you're not a kid anymore. Fun times over,
0: right? Okay. Yeah. And how was that? What was it like having kids? What was it what was that like? What was that first year like? Um, it was it was tough.
2: I'm not gonna lie, it's very very tough because the late nights you know, feeling, changing that bit, I've always been a hands-on dad, mm. always, always been a hands-on dad. Yeah, but it, it was hard. I'm just aware that we're, we're going to be talking a little bit more
0: about like, stuff that was a bit difficult. Yeah. Um, and I'm just uh, wondering how to, to to ask it, really, but I suppose maybe it would be an idea to just to ask it, say, so, like, what happened when things started changing? Yeah. And, and by that, I mean what happens, like, when...
2: Mima was diagnosed. What happened? So, in March 2017, so two years ago, yeah. um, we just saw her, sat at the dinner table and she was eating. She found it really hard to swallow. She goes, It really hurts. I thought, You're probably coming down with something, you know, something your throat closes, you know, it's probably hard to eat. But no, it, it was still hurting and it was hurting in, in her stomach. So, I just get it checked out. Went to the doctor, the doctor said it was acid reflux and mm-hmm. gave us some medicine for three months. No, but she was losing weight uh, quite rapidly. Right. I thought something's not right. And people thought she was um, losing weight on purpose, you know, the baby weight, because this was shortly after my son was born. Right, okay. And he was two. Um, so he uh, thought he lose baby weight. But I thought there's no, not much weight on it because she's very slim. But then the doctor scans. Then in December 2017, they did a biopsy. So they took a sample from the stroke,, They thought something's not right. And for me, this is where it hit home. Is when the the, the doctor who took the sample, whilst we there, goes, "If it's all right with you, I'd rather not tell you the results." And for me, then I thought, like, something's very serious. For one, they shouldn't have said that. Mm. Uh, for me, and I was like, okay, something's not right. In January. Uh, the first, I remember, we um, we we always set our goals for the year, and she said, "Do you not know work hard." I want to buy myself a red Range Rover Is what she said. Um, then they did another um, biopsy about three days later, and they said, "You got stomach cancer. Your life is cut short. Sure. Mm-hmm. No treatments I'm going to get rid of it. And you got know one." Really sorry to say, but yeah, your life is cut short. And she, then we left the room. She obviously burst into tears. We left the room, and we sat in the car. And I went back in, and I said, "How long?" And the doctor said, "You really want to know?" yeah, tell me." Mm. Probably got my like eighteen months, two years left. I was like, "Okay." So in my, that's when I started processing everything.
0: Right. And what was that like for you at that time? Like. Having heard those words, 18
2: months to years. is there what was going on in your mind? So, it was a mix of emotions. Right. I'm like, we am going to fight this, you know, because we're not going to let a doctor, the doctor's going to be wrong, not let a doctor dictate, saying, my wife's days are numbered. At the same time, doctors can be right as well. Mm-hmm. So, it was a mix of emotions, I'm really confused at the time. She was confused, and we didn't really say anything. Uh, on the way home. All I remember was just driving, had my hand on the gear stick and she just put my, her hand on my hand and she said, oh, I don't want to die. I said, look, you're not going to. Don't worry. Very nice. And What was it like in terms of um, family support? What, what was that like for you? Um, it's, it was a lot for everyone to take in, mm. you know? Uh, we told her family, like her, her mum and dad, her siblings. Um, she didn't want anybody else to know. She's a very private person, and that, that, that's all we told. Right. Um, but it was hard for them to accept. Um, so it was very, very difficult for when they would come round or they wouldn't come round. Um, but as long as I was there for Nim, like them, she was like, that's fine. Like, I don't want anybody else making about them, but it's, it's about me here. I'm the one that's suffering from this. Mm. So well, I had to be there for her and it's brought to everybody else out. I don't blame them, I don't blame the, the, the family members because they're thinking, you know, it's, it's our daughter, it's our sister, you know. What's going on? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, at the early stages, it was difficult for everyone. Very difficult. Yeah. We just didn't know where we were going. Right. Yeah. Right. But there was, because uh, she was losing weight, she couldn't eat, mm. they said you can't do chemotherapy. So what they said, because you need to be above, like, 48 kilos or something. And she was, like, about 44. Right. And what she had to do, she had to put, like, a a pipe in her lower bowels, small bowels, and get fed through a machine. So every Friday, we would get liquid food delivered to the door. Mm. Hook it up to a machine for 10 hours every night, she'll get fed. Did that for four weeks, and she did gain a bit of weight. They said, that's fine, but we just want to check your liver. Uh, because there's a blockage in there. Mm-hmm. So they did all the scans, they said what we're going to do, simple procedure, we're going to put another pipe through there and then drain all the bile and the fluid. Right. Um, but the operation went wrong. What was the time of life like for you Stressful. Because the children, I've seen the nurses coming here, they made friends with the nurses, but they didn't know how poorly their, their mum was. When, because um, Nottingham messed up the operation, we wanted to get her out there, bring her closer to home. Uh, Nottingham to Leamington, you can imagine um hour and a half on a good day, two hours on a yeah. bad day, yeah. juggling between the kids. So, one them would stay there, uh, yeah. we would swap every two or three days, because the kids needed a parent at home. For the spring back to, to Coventry, which is only 20 minutes up the road. Um, and that's when the consultant there looked through all the notes and said, do you know you've only really got 12 months left to live? And that is the first time Nim heard how long she had left. When, when I asked the consultant in January, mm. they said 18 months, two years. Right. But fast forward three months, you know, four months, um, I think I don't know how to, yeah, And that's the first time she heard it. And she like, OK. She didn't cry. She didn't cry or anything. I think she was processing it, thinking, mm-hmm. okay, I've got a year left. Um, again, temperatures get fluctuating, just could not control it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Couldn't control it. And that's when I had to go home and tell the children. I said, kids, and me, who knew at the time was nine. Oh, well, he was five. Doreen was only three, so he would have understood. So I said, look, mommy's not well. You know, mommy's been in hospital, she's been at home. This is coming and going. Uh, but Mummy's not well right at all. Uh, there could be a chance that when mum and wife were in the sky, and my elders just kicked off. You know, she locked herself in the room. I just, I just said to her, it's fine. And I, I just remember this, you know, sitting on the floor, like, back to the bed, and I was just holding her. I was just consoling, saying, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And she was all right. You know, had try to make a laugh and a joke if she was alright. Because with kids if they uh, they're crying with the hair, best thing is to like distract them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. With Avani, she's still a bit young, but uh, I had to tell them, I had to keep them in the loop. Um, but it, it's it's um yeah. But then again they said there's bleeding in the stomach where the cancer is. Um, We're going to try therapy. If it doesn't work, she's probably got four to six weeks left. And that's when I told the children then again.
1: I mm. um, said,
2: so, same thing, you know, mummy's very poorly now, very, very poorly. Uh, I've never mentioned the word cancer or anything. I mm. said, so she's very poorly. So there could be, again, a chance that mummy's going to go. Same thing happened. Um, they did the radiotherapy. It worked, mm. um, so that was great. We were all really happy. But when they said, OK. With my mother-in-law, it's, understandably, she found it very hard to accept that her daughter's dying," And so the senior consultant was in the room. I remember this. Nim was in the hospital bed. Consultant here, I'm here, mother-in-law there. And he said, mm. look, we're going to send you home. Um, we can't do anything else my mother was saying there's always hope we can fight this mm-hmm. and i think the consultant sort of got a bit annoyed then and she said look your daughter's very ill you have to accept that and she turned to Nim and she said you do know you're going home to die and i was like right and i think that's when it hit home. everyone mm-hmm. i knew it anyway um because i accepted a while back, um, and that's what kept me going through. But it's that people cling on to hope. But the fact the way the consultant said to me, We went home to die. Um, I went home, they waited for like, the ambulance to take her back. And all I remember coming around the back of the house, ambulance reversing, her uh, in a hospital bed, tubes and her nose, and everything, and literally, it, apparently. Taking her through the back gate, and I'm like, she actually, actually is coming out tonight. She is literally coming to tonight. I like, sat my brother in law, my sister in law, down, and I said, Look, we have to be prepared for the worst case scenario. And you know what the worst case scenario is that she's going to die, but we have to be expect the best. And the best case scenario is that the cancer's gone, to
0: um, thank you for sharing that um, I think my next I'm wondering when I was listening to what you were saying my question around that was um, who was supporting me were, were you getting any additional support were like for example Macmillan Cancer Trust involved or, <clears throat> was anybody ever I don't know, anybody
2: no so us as a family mm-hmm. we became a very strong unit a very strong human. Mm-hmm. Certain members of the family found it very, very difficult to handle. Uh, very difficult to handle. Um, but I've been practicing mental toughness training for a good four or five years. YouTube, reading, you know. I mm-hmm. um, said so this one was very tough mentally. I was telling people, come on man, you know. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but come we can do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was it was tough for other people. So everything stayed within the family. Yeah, the family. Mm-hmm. They said, look, we, she can go to a um, like hospice. We mm-hmm. were like, no. Me and my mother-in-law, like, we are not doing that. Mm-hmm. You, know, you get the support there, you get the care. We are like, no, we can do it ourselves. So in terms of bathing her, you know, brushing her teeth, uh, feeding her, we did all of that. You know? mm-hmm. My mother-in-law uh, helped help a lot with that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: She would sleep with her like, in the same room. So you're doing all the, like, the intensive care. The care. Right. Okay. We were doing all of that. Yeah. We thought, we're not having any outside help. Mm. And that's my wife. And we're going to ask my daughter. And it's what we've got to do. It's our duty to do that. Mm. Yeah. we was sending elsewhere.
0: In terms of uh, the additional support that you were offered, what what would you prefer? What would, what would you like to have happened? If, if it was like a... If you had a best case scenario in terms of what people were offering you
2: in terms of support and care, how would you envision that? What, what would you have seen? If I'm being completely honest, mm-hmm. there probably wouldn't be anything better than our own family helping. We do not want anybody else because we could bathe her. Yeah, it, We wouldn't want any nurse coming home mm-hmm. to do that, wash your hair or anything. So there's nothing that they could have offered uh, that would be any better than what we had. What we can give them, and they would we'll, what not want that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She wouldn't want that at all. Yeah. And
0: then, um, I suppose, maybe if we could talk yeah. a little bit about what happened like once they passed away, yeah. What what occurred and what happened to you as a family? What was going on for you as a unit? and yeah. Even in the wider family, what was
2: going on for you? Yeah. So, um, in terms of the wider family. No one knew, and again, they didn't want anyone to know. Right. Yeah, they didn't want anyone to know because she's a very private person. But we said, "You're seen the same old faces, you know." Mm-hmm. What about some of your friends? get some of your friends in? She doesn't "No, I don't want to." We thought, "Come on, just try it." And she shrugged her shoulders. Like, for me, I said, "Yes, yeah, so right, I'm going to do it." Called a couple mm-hmm. of her friends, you know, and it, she actually needed that because it brought a bit of colour in her cheeks, you know. She picked up a bit. Mm-hmm and it was, well, it was hard for her friends to see her like that. Very hard, from what she was like before, to what she was like now. Lost a lot of weight. No makeup, you know, her hair, like thinning. It was, I did warn them beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, but in her last four or five days, um, everyone came round, Every single day, um, you know, they stayed stay late. I can't really stay late. Uh, but we had a set routine, because she was still being fed by this machine. Mm. Um, but it got to the point where it, it wasn't going through anymore. It literally just going and comes seat back out. Mm. So we had to stop feeding her. Um, and the nurses said she was very, very ill. Mm. Very ill. I don't know how ill. They said, we're talking about maybe a day or two. And I thought, okay. I um, said so what we advise is they give some kind of medicine, diazopan, or something like that. We just slowly inject, it's not strong, but it'll relax them. Mm. Um, that's what they give. I did I said, before you give it, I need to consult the family. So email Mexican, you know, let me consult them. Mm. And the next day they, what I spoke to them and said, Okay, if it's not strong, we'll do it. Um, next day they put it. And she, literally she like she's fell asleep. She's breathing, but it's very really like deep. Mm-hmm. Um but it was like long breaths. Um on the nineteenth, um it was just we were sat in one room, her brother and sister was sat with him and they said all what we heard, hang on, her breathing's getting a bit shallow, so we all ran into the room and she took her last three breaths and that's it she went. Um, you know, um, but again, the emotions were everywhere. I, everyone knew this time was going to come. Everyone knew that, uh, but it's easier said than done. Uh, but I, I knew it was going to happen. I expected it. Mm. Yeah,
0: it's a slow build up to an event. Yeah, and yeah. The event happens, and then
2: everybody has their reaction after yeah, it, so That's it. But again, it's easy for me. I've been doing mental toughness training. Um, planning for end of life, life physically, that's yeah, what I do for a living. I've worked in the funeral industry, so I've done funerals before. Mm. Um, so in my head, I played exactly what was going to happen. I thought, when new passes away, I'm going to give time for the family to say their goodbyes. I need to call the funeral director. They're going to come. You know, they're going to come to the house, open the body bag, put a body in zip it up and just take it. I knew all this was going to happen, mm. but nobody else did. You know, because I've never seen it before. Mm. And it was very emotional, very, very emotional at that time. And then that's when we called, my um, phone calls were made from, you know, like my jack jack cousins and so on, you know, named Spoha and said, look, you know, she passed away. So everyone just came, 11, by 11.30 night like she passed away. Mm-hmm. And everyone said we had a full house. Um, it was just, just surreal, you know? But the whole room was empty. And they said, look, just give Marad a the chance to say goodbye. Um, and don't forget, at that time, there's all this commotion going on, very loud, but the three kids were asleep upstairs. And then my sister-in-law said, look, why didn't you get in V to come down and say goodbye? boy it's when she's passed away? Um, I was like, I don't know. I actually don't know what to do. But they liked just do it. So we called her. Called her down. No room in no the room. Just me. I I said, "Look, mommy, she's asleep. You know, tell you what you want to say. Say what you want. What do you want to say to her?" And that's just she held her hand and she said, um, "Get better, mommy. Uh, you know, I love you." And I was like, "Okay." And then I took her in the in the other room. Then I spent a bit of time there. Um, went outside and I just called the, the funeral directors. I said, "Look," and these are the people I used to work with. I said, "Look." Um, my name needs to come to my house. This is about um, half 12. Come to my house. I'm asking him if they want. said, No, oh, why she's passed away. He was like, What? I said, why passed away. Um, They're like, Alright, oh, okay. He's obviously asleep. I came up, and him and his brother came. Uh, and again, like I planned in my head, playing in my head, they came. And mm-hmm. uh, they caught her in. Tipped her up, and then they took her um it was just it was just i don't know something like that but maybe and i remember next morning everyone went i went upstairs and i said to Levine and other money, i said you know i've been saying to you about um not being now and um, take Barbara, you taking her mm-hmm. um and like, yeah i said barbie's not taking Mummy to the sky and right. um, look of con- confusion. So I brought Naveen downstairs. Naveen expected expecting mummy to be on the, on the bed. It was all empty. And she literally was like, no, 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 it can't be. She ran upstairs um, locked herself in the room. I'm like banging the door. saying, said, Naveen, open the door, open the door. I went in and I just gave her a hug. I don't know what to say. I couldn't say everything's going to be okay. Mummy's mm-hmm. fine. Mummy's gone, you know. In my head, I'm thinking, look, your mommy's not here anymore. So it took a bit of time to calm her down. And the body said the same thing. took her down. She looked around the room. And she sat back in the other room, watching TV. And she like, so how did mommy go then? I said, Well oh, mommy said, come on, we it's time to go now. But before you go, give a kiss to your children. And then we'll go, go to the sky. She said, Okay. How did she go? I said, well, she flew up. Mm. And she's like, okay, she goes, can we FaceTime mommy? And I was like, what, well, literally in the corner, there's the phone there. I said, look, mommy, we can't, well, mommy left the phone there. Uh, she said, okay. And she's like, okay. I was giving her a hug, and I literally just burst into tears. I was doing it very quietly. I didn't want her to go. Mm. Yeah. Um, that was very, very tough for me. As soon as she said, Can we face time mummy? I thought like, oh, I, I can't do it. Um, but she's very different to Naveen. Naveen's very really emotional. Mm. But she still is quiet, you know. She's still very quiet. Then be ring, you know, you know it's three at the time. When's mommy coming back? I was like, Mummy's not Mummy in I hospital. like, nah. Mummy's a you in the sky. And mm. only just Jumping on the sofa, looking out the window. Mommy, when are you coming back? I So, he and up. You know, and this, this was going on for a good few weeks, few months. Right. I remember just sat in the car, and um, he was just looking in the mirror, and he was looking out in, in the in the sky. He goes, I love you, Mommy. I thought, oh, don't, I don't. And he still says, he goes, you know, I really miss Mommy. Or see you look at a photo and I really, really this morning. I'll say why. Really? We all do. Yeah. And um, that was a very, very tough, tough time. And then <clears throat> arranged the funeral. And I think he do I let him go, you know or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we made the decision to make sure that the, the kids went. Otherwise, they would regret it. There's a daddy, why didn't you let us go to Norwich's funeral? Yeah. They probably will not remember. Mm. Um, so all I remember, like, getting them coming to the house, um, everyone's paying their respects, and I said, look, you can just have a bit of time. Um, so it was me, three kids. Obviously, their mommy lying in a coffin. I was like, mommy's asleep, mm. you know? And then there's a woman being like, just trying to hold back. Hey yes, mommy, she's sleeping. They don't say what you want to. her, Just talk to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I kind of should go forward. Yeah. And I just do not know what to say. Yeah. We talked to her, but she's not responding back. Yeah. So they say, saying, "Hi, mommy. How are you? you oh, yeah. So <clears throat> we're there for a few minutes. Yeah. I don't want to scare them. You know, because yeah. I've seen them movie yeah. like that. Yeah and um, obviously went to the the, uh, the video would not let go of me and I was, oh, come on, you know, the funeral the Buddha for half an hour, but we were there for an hour apparently someone, did, someone said about 1500 people at the funeral and I was just looking at the end when's the line, you when's know, the end, when's it going to end just continuous um, went to the crematorium after that um, and I, I gave a eulogy gave, gave a speech and it was basically talking about how I met Nim. Naveen wrote a poem, so I read that about how well we mean brave? It's called Name Brave, you're um, So I read that, and then all I remember, we played a little video, uh, pictures, and, and, and everything. I remember just um, before pressing the button for the for the curtains to close, I walked over. Um, I was holding my son, and he just gave a kiss to the coffin uh walked over and I said, all three three of them got together, look, well, press the button, press it, and the case closed. But um, the next day it was it was a weird feeling. And a very, very weird feeling. Still people come and go, come and go. Houses packed. But when when you do the absorption, we I didn't have it at home I had it at one and dad's one street behind. Right. I thought like, I want the kids to sort of have their little territory they can play and just carry on with their normal routine. Mm. Um, everyone's like coming, Danny, why did they have to come here for? I said, look, if they wanted to, to, to talk about mommy. Uh, they're here for mommy. Mummy's not like, hey, here anymore. I said, I oh, know. Make sure you guys are okay. Mm. Um, so I had prepared myself for absolutely every single stage, up until she passed away, up until the funeral, mentally, it's like I was ready for it. Mm-hmm. And when people were coming over to pay the respects, I was consoling them, because they were crying. I said, it's fine, it's okay, it's fine. They're, you they um. But it's when people start coming over, that's when it hit me hard. Yeah. It really hit me hard then. Because I was so used to being busy. Mm-hmm. Kids were back at school. Um, you know, the, the teachers sent out a letter saying, do not approach the family. They need their own space. But well, I, I didn't know that. I expected when I did the school, I expected everyone to come to me. Right. And I was like, you know, what's
1: on here? But, you know, which was, which was nice. And the school would been very
0: supportive. Very, very supportive. Do you think maybe you would have preferred the other people to come around and, and offer you condolences? Or did you, you I mean, you, you talk about understanding, like, what the school did. But I'm wondering maybe
2: what you would have preferred. Yeah. I'm actually glad what the school did mm. because it would have been too much, especially at that time. Right. Okay. Would have been too much for for me and the children. Yeah. But it was the odd one or two parents that came up, mm. which which is fine, um, because again, it's people just don't know what to say. People still don't know what to say. Right. And I wrote an article about this. Um, my wife died at age 34. 34 lessons that I've learned in 2018. I'm about all of this. Mm. Um, because I, I'm not afraid to sh- share my emotions, you know, on social media, uh, or wherever. If I'm talking in person, if I want to cry, if I'm upset, I'll, I will be crying. There. If it doesn't bother me, if I'm open, happy, 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 happy said that, I'll do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so this is why it's like me and the laptop writing an article down is letting is a way of me letting my feelings out. I don't have that partner anymore mm-hmm. to speak to. So I you know, who can I talk to? Mm-hmm. I don't have that one specific person. You know, so it was just why my you know, laptop. Yeah. And I appreciate everything. Yeah. And, you know, that went far. I wrote two, three articles about well, just under a million views. So it's, um, yeah, it's all on LinkedIn. Yeah.
0: And in terms of um, any additional support, do you receive any?
2: Um, it's two weeks after the funeral. <laughs> I was like, okay, right, let's get to routine. I need a routine in place. And mm-hmm. um, mother in law, my uh, uh, sister in law, pretty much moved in when Nim was ill. And I was like, okay, so I need a routine. Um, I said to mum, I said, right, okay, I'm going to get a routine. So she moved back home. Sister in law was still there. And I tried to do everything myself schoolroom, you know, trying kind to of work as well. I started, because self employed, I don't need benefits, mm-hmm. you know. They no sick pay or anything like that. So I'm trying to do absolutely everything. Washing, cleaning, sister all there to cook, help me with that. But it just got too much. And where I was used to, me and them, we used to do everything with the children, doing mm. everything at home, I thought, I need to reach out. I need to ask people for help. Mm. And that's what I said to my mother. I need your help. My mother, my sister, an external family member, I said, I need help. Mm. It's too much for me. And I thought, I need to let them. Even though I need to get them in a routine, which I I still can do, I need to rely on other people. Yeah. Yeah. And which is a great help. Great help. I tried to work in between mentally. Mm -hmm. I just still wasn't there. So come October, I thought, I'm ready. I did a couple of meetings here and there. I thought, no, I'm still not ready. Mm -hmm. November, Right. yeah, fine. I literally up in the school room, again, uh, he was in nursery, he would only do nine till 12.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: After school at nine o'clock, come home and lie on the sofa, you know, when Nene used to lie before she got the bed, Netflix, and literally fall asleep. I used to go up at 11:50, go to school, pick me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was pretty much what my life was like. Yeah. So, and then Christmas was very tough. First Christmas without the kids without their money, um, and again, had, mentally I was prepared for everything else, but I wasn't pre- pre- uh, prepared for in the aftermath.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, yeah. um, I'll show you Christmas Day. We always have it at home. Go to my mum and dad's, my mum's birthday, and go to my aunts for a bit, and have Christmas dinner at home. I can't cook Christmas dinner, you know. So we just we did the normal rounds. We went to my cousins, which, which was nice. All I remember uh, waking up on Boxing Day, we got handprints done of Nim's hand by former family members, and that was framed on the wall. Mm-hmm. And all I remember waking up on Boxing Day, just next to me, um, I was just basically holding on to it. I said, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do this without you. Where are you? And um, it was just that. Was uh, I, found, I found that really difficult, really, really hard, yeah, really, really hard to deal with. So, would you say that that's when you were grieving, that's when the grief really came in? When the grief actually hit me was, again, um, I didn't really cry at any point, apart from when I finally set about up, the FaceTime thing. Mm. Um, I went to Manchester in October, uh, and I thought that's when we first got together. So I want to walk around Reminisce, so walking past restaurants, so I was, got my phone out, I might take a photo I just wanted to send it to her, I thought I can't even do that anymore, so I put my phone away, and I sat down in a big uh, outdoor area, and there was a busker, not famous for anything, she was singing one of her songs, I was listening to the lyrics, that is when it hit me, and mm. uh, I was bursting into tears, and I didn't really care what people were thinking, thinking there's a... Big six foot, three guy, you know, bawling his eyes out. I thought, okay. And that is when I started grieving. That's when it really, really hit me. But then there were times when I'd I'd grieve for a few days here and there and then carry on. I had to carry on for the children. So it was just like that in spurts, you know, in a few weeks we'll go by, I'd be right, and then it would hit me. Mm. But it really hit me at Christmas because it was on the 29th, 30th of December when we went to scatter the ashes. Uh, in Stratford-upon-Avon. Um, that was really, really, that was one of the hardest. That's probably more harder when the actual day, and Neil passed away because the children didn't know what was in this box. Not mm-hmm. just one of these things. Um, okay. So what we got made, we went, scattered the ashes, you know. Um, then, we, then what name did, she wrote letters for the children. And I was saving them, I think, when shall I give it, when shall I give it? Mm. And for me that was just the perfect time. More for Vera, for Bartley, and for me. And I just gave it. I didn't know what was in the letters. And I just gave it. Vera came and sat on my lap. And I just started reading it. And again, I just couldn't control the tears You uh, know, Being a big man, I don't want other people watching me cry. They have to be strong for the children. Mm-hmm. But no, it doesn't work like that. If you keep it inside, it builds up, builds up, and you know, and you will explode. You will explode. Yeah. Yeah. So this but I read it and I, was, and I just held on to him. I thought there are, I am here. I am now your mommy and I am your daddy. So I will do both. Mm. Yeah, but I didn't read the until probably about three months later. I just didn't have the courage to do it. Yeah. Just didn't have the courage. Yeah. We then, had then, yeah, New Year's. I thought come New Year, I've had my time off now. New Year's, that's it. Again, I wasn't really ailing anything, I'm for important. And now I just hit the ground running. So kids went back to school 7th of Jan and that's it. Hit the ground running, And um, I was fine. Literally I, I tried thinking about well, you know, I'm like a robot. Mm. You know, no emotions, only thing, People get really concerned, so you are going to burn yourself up. And now I'm fine. When all this time off, it's time for me to work now and provide for my family, being a man, and dad. Um, two months later I, I built myself up. Right. Literally. I literally I had like, 30 meetings in one month and you know, some people don't even do that in like six months. So um, but then I was just learned to take a bit of a step back. Right. Yeah. Because I wasn't spending time with success, So it's about modulation
0: and giving yourself a breathing space you yeah. understanding
2: when you're taking them to That's class. it. So it's about being organised mm. and just having a plan in place. I was booking everything left, right, centre and relying on other people. My mm. mother-in-law said so i sick, you know. So I said, oh, I've got meat at this day, can you can you take them? Like, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, But I've I've, I've learned to put plans in place. I'm working seven days a week. I can't do that. Mm. Kids want me. You know, but there's no manual for for grief. There's no manual. People telling me all this, that and the other, mm. um, but I'm like no, this is how I'm with it. Did you seek any sort of therapeutic support? No. Did you go to see a psychologist or a counsellor or a therapist? Nothing like that for okay. I found the most kind of support uh, on a Facebook group. It's a private Facebook group. Okay. It's about widow, uh, widows and widowers if you've lost a spouse. Okay. Reading on people's comments on there, I felt I felt good. End thinking, I know exactly what you're going through.
0: You know what I'm going through. What were the things that connect, you connected with the most when you're in a Facebook group or when you're in a Facebook group? What, what are the things that you connect with? What offers you support and help and what make guidance? Maybe that's not the right word, but so. But what gives you sort of those types of things that the, the help
2: the. Yeah. The emotional support, I suppose. So I, I didn't feel alone. Mm. It's a very lonely place. Mm. Um, somebody put a comment saying I was just driving, stopped that truckload, and I burst into tears. Right. I said I've done that. I said I know how you feel. You know, um, there were times. where A few comments that I read, just on my way back from the gym. Uh, normally, I of my wife saying, "Do you want anything from bars or anything?" I thought I used to do that, mm. but I can't do that anymore. Mm. And it's just that. You don't have to respond to me just by reading that. You now, there's some somebody out there that's going through what I'm going through. Yeah, and
0: that's where I'm the support. So, if you could give a message to someone who maybe is going through what you're going through,
2: what would you like to say to them? Don't give up. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't give up. You are going to get times when you want to give up, and don't get me wrong, I've there. But then I look at my children, then I look at That picture of my wife when she had that liver operation, and then the bile leaked, and how much pain she was in. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking she went through so much physical pain, mental pain. What I'm going through is only temporary, I'm still alive, you know. And what really keeps me going is that she was probably lying there looking at her children, thinking, Look, these three are my kids. They came out of me, I gave birth to them. You know, it's my husband, I've known for about 14, 15 years. You know, we celebrated our 10-year wedding on the May, August, and she died, you know, six weeks later. And it's my mum and dad there, my siblings, you know, my ear-laws. But she knows, you know, I'm going to leave all of you behind. Mm-hmm. And that is pain that I can't imagine. I can't imagine how that feels or how that felt. You know, for us, we have lost one person. It's a huge, huge loss. Mm. But for her, she's lost her whole family. Friends, cousins, you know, the 1,500 people at the funeral. She's lost all those people. And that's what keeps me going, is that, okay, I'm gonna have a down day, but get up, do it, because look what your wife went through. Mm. You know, look what she went through. So you gotta do it for the children. She. Left knowing that you'll be able to look after them, so I can't let hair down. I can't let this down. Okay, thank you. There's the one message that I just want to raise or give. Yeah, sure. Um, the cancer that she got mm-hmm. uh, is hereditary, right. so it got passed down to her. Okay. So did all the checks and. Um, it got passed out to her from her dad. So her, her dad was carrying the gene mm-hmm. and obviously passed it out to her.
1: Right.
2: So her siblings got tested and her sister is also carrying the gene. It's not active, right. the cancer gene isn't active, but it could, it could basically become active any time yeah. yeah. So what I would say, if anyone's got a history of cancer in the family, yeah. you need to get yourself tested. Mm. Because my wife died of cancer, if she had known years ago, they probably would have removed the stomach, because that's where the stomach the cancer was. And you can still live a normal life. Mm. So my sister was carrying the gene, she's going to have to get her stomach removed at some point. But because my wife got diagnosed, there's a 50% chance of my children carrying that gene. So when they're 16, 17, 18, they have to get tested. And again, they could be carrying that gene. So if they, do, if they are carrying that gene, mm-hmm. I have to make a decision, what do I do? Do I remove their stomach, or do I risk it? Mm-hmm. And I don't want anyone to be in that situation. So I've, I've, been, I've done another BBC game in uh, 2007, and they did something about it. It's on, it's on YouTube because some people have seen that, they thought, okay, my mum and dad both had cancer, they both passed away, they got tested, but luckily they're okay. Mm. But I just want people to go out there and get yourself tested. It's free. But you could save, save your life, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's what I really want people to learn and do.
1: Yeah. Thank you.